I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out. Okay? Can't roll with the big dogs. Stay on the board. It's time. Live. Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis, osmosis. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in. And a very good Wednesday to you. That's where we're at, middle of the work week. Hump day. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin, Numchuck on the other side of the glass, and our good friend Ballpark Frank, uh, still out. He's on the IL, but that's okay. He'll be back. Hopefully, uh, he is uh, doing well, recovering. Ballpark Frank will uh, be with us, uh, hopefully, back very, very soon. So, shout out uh, to him. Shout out to you as well, too, as we've got another jam-packed show coming your way today. we got a pair of Steves. They're going to be joining us today. That's it. Part of our team. Got a lot of Steves on this team. Steve Berline, the uh, former quarterback, does a fantastic job, of course, with uh, the CBS Sports Network and also on the radio broadcast now with uh, Compass Media as well. He did the game with our good friend TJ Reeves last week. How about that? Putting those two guys together. We'll talk about that. Iowa-Iowa State last week. So Steve Berline will join us. The former Panthers quarterback, Cowboy quarterback, and of course, Raiders quarterback. So we'll talk to Berline regarding the Raiders. Get his take on that. Talk about the quarterback play in the NFL. And you know what I'm going to touch on with Berline today? Is the direction that the NFL has gone here. And it's been happening this way for the last few years where we're seeing you know, more of the running quarterback. And we, really when you look at week one in the NFL and you look at all the quarterbacks that had fantastic games, well, pretty much they had, they had one thing in common. <laughs> They're option quarterbacks. We're going option style now in the NFL. And for an old school quarterback or old school football fan, you never thought that you would see the day where basically you have option quarterbacks would be the stars in the National Football League. But you can make that case. I mean, you got Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, and Tua. Throw all those guys in there and and think about that. I mean, you're almost to a point now where you're getting like one-fourth of the league is going with the, you know, option quarterback. When we say option, I mean, it's not the triple option. It's not the veer like you see in college. I mean, we're talking about the RPOs, the run-pass option. And more and more teams are going to that now. Where back in the day, you, you would never see that. And we've seen it coming. We've seen it brewing. But the thing about it is, even when teams tried this over the last 10 years or so, it was never successful. But now all those guys that I mentioned are having enormous success, and it's causing defensive coordinators to change their approach on on how they game plan now. I mean, Patrick Mahomes. No one knew what you were going to get from Patrick Mahomes when he was at Texas Tech. You said, okay, here's a Big 12 quarterback. Yeah, this guy looks pretty good. And then he got better uh, over time, and Texas Tech was putting 45, 50, sometimes 60 points on the board, but their defense was giving up 40, 45, 50, sometimes 60 points or even more on the board. And then, you know, Andy Reid took a shot on him. And again, it helps, like I've said so many times before, when you're a second-generation athlete, which Patrick Mahomes is, and, you know, even though his dad was a baseball player, and we've always talked about that with second-generation athletes. Kobe Bryant, you know, when, when you're around the game at such a young age and the way you develop, is just it's quicker and you're more mature. So Patrick Mahomes, you know, sets out a year, sits behind Alex Smith. Andy Reid says, "No, this kid's ready," and he fits perfectly into what Andy Reid is doing in Kansas City. Lamar Jackson, that was a little bit more of a question mark coming again from a program in Louisville where they scored a ton of points, not in a really great conference, and it's taken Lamar Jackson 
you know, some time to get acclimated. Lamar Jackson is never going to be that guy like Patrick Mahomes that is going to throw for 400-plus yards. You know, Lamar Jackson is going to be that run-first type of guy. And we saw it here Monday night where, you know, his first few passes, I mean, he gave up on the pass right away and decided, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run first. You think of Lamar Jackson, he's like a run-first guy. Dak Prescott in college and early on his NFL career, he was a run-first guy as well, too. Kyler Murray, same thing. Uh, but Jalen Hurts, and people who listen to the show know how I've always felt about Jalen Hurts. That guy is not just a run-first guy. He can throw it. He can dissect it. And what he did last Sunday for the Eagles is they blasted the Atlanta Falcons. It, it was amazing what Jalen Hurts did and what he's doing right now. And here's a stat for those people that don't think Jalen Hurts was going to be much of an NFL pro-style quarterback. Jalen Hurts is the first quarterback to have 1,000 passing yards and 250 rushing yards in his first five career starts. Only one guy in the history of the NFL, and that's Jalen Hurts. He did it. Sure, short sample size, but you can't argue with the results. First quarterback to have 1,000 passing yards, 250 rushing yards in his first five starts. So, yeah, good stuff. All right, so Steve Berline's going to join us. We will talk to him today regarding the quarterback position in the NFL. Also, we'll get his take on the Raiders. The Raiders look back to Monday night again against the Ravens, look ahead to the Pittsburgh Steelers coming up uh, on Sunday. So we'll talk to Berline about that. Steve Sachs will join us. Major League Baseball, stretch run. And really, there's not a whole bunch of playoff races that are happening right now. And this is unusual for this time of year. We normally see this for the last couple weeks of the season. There's jockeying, there's battling, at least, if not maybe for a division title, the wild cards, you know, up for grabs. And, and really, that's really not the case. So we got to start looking ahead to Major League Baseball in the playoffs. And uh, there are some battles, I guess, you know, for, for the wild card of both sides. But still, a lot of these divisions, they're done. They're signed, sealed, delivered. And have we ever seen such a disparity this year from the top teams to the bottom teams? And when you look at, like, the American League East standings and you see the Tampa Bay Rays are leading the Baltimore Orioles by 45 games. That's insane. Insane. 43 and a half to be exact. But you know what I mean. Same thing with the White Sox. White Sox leading by 20 games. Over the last place, Minnesota Twins. And the Twins got a little bit of talent. And then the Astros leading the Rangers by 30 games. It's, it's craziness. Then you got Atlanta over Washington, who just you know decided to go dumpster fire. 17 and a half games you know, from first place to last place. The Pirates, 35 games behind the Milwaukee Brewers. That's right, the Pittsburgh Pirates. 35, not behind the Cubs, not behind the Cardinals, no, behind the Milwaukee Brewers, 35 games, and probably the worst team in all of baseball. The Arizona Diamondbacks trail the San Francisco Giants by 48 games. If you're Colorado, you feel pretty good. You're only trailing by 28. (laughs) And San Diego. And the San Diego team, they spent all kinds of money on Manny Machado, Tatis Jr. And what do you get for it? You're not even in consideration for a wild card, really. I mean, they are, you know, in consideration for a wild card. But in the division, 20 and a half behind the San Francisco Giants. No one thought the San Diego Padres would be 20 and a half behind the San Francisco Giants. But the Dodgers are still hanging tough. So there's one race, and we'll talk to Steve Sachs about that. Giants, Dodgers. Dodgers hanging in there. All they do is win. They're two and a half behind the Giants. So we got some baseball talk. And I want your thoughts, too, as well, too. We'll open up the phone lines here for uh, this first segment as well, too. 221-7283. 221-7283. First-time callers, love to hear from you. Give me some thoughts about Major League Baseball, your thoughts on that. But what I want to throw out here today also is the Monday night football game at Allegiant Stadium. Now, we talked a lot about it yesterday, about the pomp and circumstance, the, the electricity that was in the building. And for a lot of fans, if you go to social media, you'll see a lot of fans that are posting, say, hey, first time I've ever been to a game. And I've seen a lot of friends of mine that 
I had no idea they had never been to an NFL football game before. But think about it. If you've lived in Las Vegas for the majority of your life and you don't travel very much, what are your options? I mean, really, football just returned to L.A., what, you know, four or five years ago when the Rams came back. So maybe it's not that shocking that a lot of people who live here in Las Vegas or have been here for a long time, grew up here, have not attended a live NFL football game. So I find that kind of interesting to to hear that. So being at the game, and like I said yesterday, I was fortunate enough to be able to experience the best of both worlds, up being up in the press box and then going and sitting in the bowl, sitting in Allegiant Stadium, uh, you know, down, down the lower level. I really enjoyed that. And like I said yesterday, I used to try to do that, even though I was covering the Packers for at least one game a year, preferably September for Lambeau Field, to, to go and soak up that ambience. And it, the ambience was there. Now, I know that when we had, you know, Dennis Gaxiola on, the, the comedian uh, from the Bay Area who, who flew up to see the Raider game, he said, hey, the Raider fans still need to know what their, their etiquette is. They still need to get a little IQ. And he was right about that, saying that, you know, hey, when you have the ball, you can't be doing the wave. You can't be yelling and screaming. <laughs> so I want your take. If you were at the game Monday night, I want to know what your feeling was on what the atmosphere was like. How did you enjoy it? And we could go into the whole Allegiant Stadium thing too. Concessions. Okay. I didn't stand any concession lines. So I don't know what that was like. We know about the the problems they had for SummerSlam and some of these other events. Uh, the BYU Arizona game. I got a chance to walk around the concourse for that. There was a lot of clusters, a lot of bottlenecks, you know, in the narrow corridors and the hallways there. And this isn't to rip Allegiant Stadium. But I know there are a lot of people that were very excited about going Monday night. They had a lot of great things to say. But we know that after going to, say, a UNLV game or the BYU-Arizona College game last weekend, you know some fans were a little discouraged with parking, uh, with uh, concessions, with that sort of thing. So if you had some problems, I want to hear about it. And again, you know the Raiders, the Allegiant Stadium uh, staff, I think they would need to hear about it as well, too. So uh, what was your experience like? You went to the game on Monday night, chime in, 221-72-83. All right, uh, also, um, news came out yesterday. We touched upon Clay Helton out at USC. You got thoughts on that. Uh, Clay Helton, been there since 2015 as the head coach. Got a $12 million buyout. Was under contract to 2023. What is USC going to do? Got some thoughts on that. Uh, USC has got to get this higher right. So, uh we're going to be talking to uh, Arash Mukherjee, who does a fantastic job on the uh, L.A. Times and who co- covers uh, everything L.A., from the Rams to the Chargers to USC, UCLA. He's going to join us on the show tomorrow. But you want some thoughts on that, uh, uh, chime in as well, too. And, of course, uh, the big news, very happy for our good friend, Showtime Sean Porter, as he has taken on Terrence Crawford. It is official. The purse bid is over. And our good friend Bob Arum uh, has won the purse bid, and Bob will be promoting that. And it is November 20th at the Mandalay Bay for the WBO Welterweight Championship, and it'll be the first true test for Terrence Crawford. So Bob was scheduled to join us today and just got a phone call from Bob. He was going to join us in the second hour. Uh, his schedule got a little tied up today and as well, and we'll respect uh, the Jewish holiday for Bob as well today. So we'll reschedule Bob, uh, but... Um, We'll, uh, we'll get somebody else to, to chime in about uh, Crawford and Porter as well, too. And uh, talk to Showtime Sean Porter earlier today, who's training at, as we speak. And Showtime will be joining us. If not, um, next Friday in person at the Cosmopolitan, we may uh, have Sean on the phone before that. But uh, very happy for him because he's getting uh, the fight that he's wanted for quite some time. Crawford and Porter uh, for the WBO welterweight championships. Look, looking forward to that. All right, your thoughts. We've got a lot on the table to cover here in this first segment uh, before we start talking baseball and the NFL and a whole lot more. Your thoughts. Raiders, Allegiant Stadium, baseball, it's all on the table for you. 221-7283. Let's go to the phones. Let's talk to the professor. What's up, professor? 
Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you very much, TC, for taking my call. I really enjoy the show. Uh, I did attend the game Monday night. I got a lot of thoughts about it. But first things first, I do want to give a shout-out to uh, Ballpark Frank. Hope he gets back soon. And let him know, man, the IL now is only 10 days. <laughs> it's not the old days on the DL-15. I think he's getting close to 10. This is true. This is true. I mean, he's getting close to 10. And, you know, I don't want to get in one of those situations, you know, like with Trevor Bauer, why we have to, you know, do an extension, an extension, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, shelf it all together. But let's be perfectly clear. Ballpark Frank and Trevor Bauer are two opposite ends of the spectrum. So, Ballpark Without Frank. Without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, man. So, what you got? Hit, hit me with everything. Well, uh, you know, quite a few thoughts going to the game. I actually took, uh, and I want to give a shout-out to uh, RTC, uh, great job with that shuttle bus. I took it from Green Valley. I believe they pick up from six different locations, many of the different and casinos around the area. Uh, $4 round trip, and I noticed coming in, I mean, most of the parking was anywhere from 80 to 100 at least right on D. Martin Drive. So, you know, if you don't want to go because you don't want to pay the parking prices, uh, that is a great alternative. Park for free at the casinos, take the shuttle to the game. Uh, they did a great job getting in and out of that parking lot. Um, Second um, thing I wanted to point out, the entry, I was thinking it was going to be a complete disaster because most people with their tickets, obviously it's on some type of app, and now you got the health screening app, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not a great technology person myself, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, these people, you know, they're going to try to get one up and going, and they got to shut it down and try to find the tickets, and I thought the line would be ridiculous getting in, but uh, really, you got, you got to give it out to the, the people that were working there. They were really moving the lines well at the gates, so really, really impressed with that. Yeah. It, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Well, I was, yeah, I was going to say too. You know, same thing with the food and beverage. I did go up one time to get a bottle of water. Uh, the line moved very well, so uh, you know the workers they definitely had it well staffed. I'll give them that. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. And again, you know, watching you know you know people you know come in and out of the stadium, uh, it, it looked pretty smooth and flawless in comparison to the exhibition game, the first uh, football game they had there when the Seahawks came to town with the Raiders. You can see that staff and everything was trying to work out the kinks. Uh, there were those bottlenecks, there were sort of thing. So you know that probably served as a pretty good prerequisite, you know, in a trial run. I know at least for the Allegiant Stadium workers, but probably as well as fans. Uh, you know, too. But I know the fans were very excited. And I think because it was the opening night, you know, people really planned this out in advance and they got to the stadium very, very early, uh, which was good. And, you know, I had some fears being a 515 start. You know, people, you know, maybe trying to work on Monday. Um, you know, if you can't take the day off and you're going to get there, you know, 515. Sunday's a little bit different because, as you know, you don't have the traffic problems. You could have a, you know, a, a, one, a 105 start or a 125 start or, you know, even, you know, a 5 o'clock start if you have the Sunday night football game. So I think there was a lot of challenges there. And I think you're right. I think Allegiant Stadium really, really passed the test and, you know, the transportation and, and, and the traffic uh, maintenance as well. Yeah, and then uh, two negatives. I mean, you did touch on one. The concourse is just way too narrow for sixty-five thousand people. So I, and I, I mean, what do you do now to correct it? I mean, um, probably not much you can do there. Uh, the pregame music, just in my opinion, I got there really early, and it was just it was cranked uh, to the max. So uh, <laughs> I, I think next time I go, I'll go maybe twenty minutes before the game, so I don't have to listen to that for two hours. Um, another thing you touched on, the crowd obviously very loud. That was, you know, we might be a lot of a Golden Knight game. Um, definitely need to be quiet when the Raiders have the ball. There was that one bad snap where the center probably didn't hear. <laughs> right. Uh, there was a false start, too. So, you know, just a, a couple things like that. Really. And the fans will make it more knowledgeable. I think, uh, you know, you won't see that for much longer. I, I did want to touch on, too, because you mentioned the USC uh, with Clay Helton's uh, firing. And I. <laughs> Again, I, I'm a UCLA fan, so anytime there's this one change USC, I really enjoy it. But, uh, you know, he was there for seven years. The timing to me just made no sense because they've done so little in that period of time. They could have let him go at the end of any year, and they wait until after the second game of the season. So I don't really understand that. I don't know if you have more insight. Yeah, well, here's the thing with Clay Hilton. I mean, this is a guy that came up as an intern, okay? And, again, you know, USC – you know, they, they went through this thing where they always wanted to get one of their own. And I think that's the problem here. And, and I'm all for that. 
you know, as far as recruiting, I mean, that does great for recruiting. If you get a USC guy to try to recruit those kids and say, hey, you know, I went to school here or I've coached here and that sort of thing, and this is the USC culture, and that goes a long way. However, it doesn't do you any good if the guy really isn't recruiting the top-tier guys and then, bottom line, you know, that he can't coach. I think that's where the disconnect is with Clay Helton because, again, this guy has been on the chopping block at least, you know, one, maybe two other times that they were talking about getting rid of him. And then Mike Bone comes in to, to you know, the new athletic director and he says, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna, to you know, stick with this guy. And then all of a sudden, they, look, they get the first win against San Jose State. And even though if you really dive in and peel back the onion there, that USC really didn't play that well. They got a convincing yeah, victory, <laughs> you know, and they didn't. They didn't play that well. Now you play Stanford, you're a 17.5-point favorite, and not only do you lose the game outright, but you get obliterated. You get blasted. And 42-28, I don't know how many people watched that game, but that score wasn't even that close. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how USC even got twenty eight, and I felt good because that was one of my best bets last week. So I, you know, taking taking Stanford, but for Stanford to roll over USC USC the way they did at the Coliseum, I mean, you know, I don't blame um, you know Bone for saying, you know what, this I'm done, I'm done with this. We got to move on. I mean, that was a bold move to see a college coach uh, be gone. After two games in the season and two home games where your record is one and one, but I think that just shows you where you know they want USC to be, and I think they said you know now that now is a great time to to get rid of this type of coach and let's go for the high profile guy. And I think that's what USC needs to do. Obviously, they've got the money to do it. They're paying uh, Clay Helton twelve million dollars to step step away, say goodbye. Well, we'll pay you to go away. But they do have the money, they do have the boosters, and they are going to attract you know someone good. But USC just is always in their own way. Uh, th- that's yeah, the problem. And they, and I think that's the problem. People that they feel like they're a top five program in the country. They have not been there for a long, long time. I think you'd have to go back to Pete Carroll. But you know, and I, I do watch high school football quite a bit. And there was a time, I mean, forever, thirty years probably, where USC could get anybody they wanted out of Southern California. And now you're seeing those top two kids are going to the SEC. Um, you know, so it's uh, they're not getting the type of pleasures they once did. And even keeping it to a local perspective here, I mean, USC used to recruit Vegas. I mean, re- really solid too. And you know, we're not seeing those those Gorman kids or those Liberty kids. You know, go you know really flocking to USC like like we used to. That used to be a destination back in the day. But I think again, I mean, who was the last high profile coach that USC had? I mean, look who they've Pete gone Carroll, to. Man. There you go, Pete Carroll. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and they didn't like Pete Carroll because they thought, okay, well, Pete is kind of like you know likes to run his own ship. He's brash. He's cocky. He's confident. But you know what? That's what they need. And if you look at the successful college football coaches, that's exactly what you have. But USC has settled for a puppet, and they've settled for quote unquote USC guys. I mean, they tried Lane Kiffin. Okay, sure, Lane Kiffin, NFL background. He's got a, you know, a, a great offensive mind. I get that. Steve Sarkeesian, are you kidding me? Forget about it. And then, and then, and then Clay Hilton, who was basically an intern. But all of those guys, they felt had some type of USC connection. So I'm saying, no more family reunions. No more of this this stuff. We don't need you know past Trojan pride. Just go out and, and entice. That's the key word. Entice the best college football coach you can. Now, we've already heard some names thrown out there. James Franklin from Penn State. James Franklin, he's not denying it. I mean, he's saying, you know what, I'm going to talk with our people here at Penn State. You know, I don't want a circus. I don't want a zoo here. James Franklin just could have came out and said, you know what, no thank you, I'm happy here. But James Franklin's probably going to be the leading candidate. I don't know how well he's going to do. He came over from Vanderbilt. I mean, it was Vanderbilt. He didn't blow people away, but again, he took a a dormant program and in at least you know got him to you know a couple minor bowl games. Okay, fine. Penn State has he had that type of success? Yeah, they had they had a nice victory, you know, against Wisconsin. But for the most part, I mean, the, the book's still out on James Franklin. Is he a good fit for USC? We'll see. 
uh, Urban Meyer came out and said, hey, uh, here's his quote, no chance. He goes, I'm here in Jacksonville committed to try to build an organization. I think that's kind of funny because he well, used the word, until, I'm yeah, trying. Until, but, they're, yeah. until they're owing for <laughs> Right, right, right. But I think USC, yeah, no, myself, they need, to go after, they need to go after a big-time guy, a big-time name, and, and shell out the money and bring USC football you know, uh, back to prominence. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see who they hire. So, hey, one more thing, if you have the time. Um, I know you talked about it a lot last week, but the A's potential move. I mean, I haven't heard too much lately about what's happening with the Oakland City Council. I know they got their own dysfunction there. But um, just kind of weighing the, the financial part of it, I, I can't see Vegas affording another land deal like they gave to Mark Davis. So I don't know if that maybe opens the door for a place like Henderson. I don't know what your thoughts are, if there's any updates. I just haven't heard too much in the last few weeks. I think you know Vegas is is the viable option, but the last straw basically came last week. I know we touched upon it last week. Is that the the Oakland Alameda, the the Coliseum, and the and the City Council there basically said, you know what, uh, we, we've given you our best offer, and the A's uh, brass basically said, you know, that's the best you can do. Uh, we're breaking off talks with you. And, and we're moving on. So that Jack London ballpark that they've been talking about, uh, the A's are not, they're not going to go for that. And they just basically okay. said last week that, that we've got a stalemate. Uh, you've been talking to this great game for such a long time, but they still have not come to the terms that the A's need. And I think Vegas is going to be the spot. Now, you bring up a good point. Now, where is that going to be? Is it going to be Henderson? We've, we've, we've heard that they could possibly – go on that land where the Rio is. They were talking about maybe even you know, you know, blowing up that property. There was talking about expansion in Summerlin where the aviators play there. I don't think you can actually do that, and traffic could be a major problem over there. But I think you know, you're looking at either you know, trying to find some land – you know, either you know further down Las Vegas, you know Boulevard. Uh, you know, you you still got the 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 Valley High Country Club. You know, that's a possibility as well too. So I, I think Vegas actually has some options. I think you can rule out downtown, but they would like to be as close to the Strip as possible. And then, like you said, out there in Henderson, uh, that could be a, a very viable opportunity as well too. But if I had to lay some money down right now, I'm I'm thinking we're going to get the Las Vegas A's, which and I'll throw this at you because I. I threw this out last week if las vegas does get the a's would you be for rebranding the name a la what the tennessee titans did when the oilers you know left houston and start from scratch or do you keep the a's name because a lot of franchises would like to just start from scratch and and do some rebranding here so i think that's a big question mark but i think eventually the a's are going to be here okay I really enjoy the show. I want to thank you for taking the call. And uh, anyway, again, uh, really rooting for Ballpark Frank to get back in there. I appreciate it, Professor. Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All okay. Right. There he is. Bye. All right. The professor uh, checking in. Uh, good thoughts there. Uh, good takes, uh, you know, with UCLA and, of course, what happened at Legion Stadium Monday night. And, of course, uh, baseball. You know, a, a lot happening here. And, of course, you know, we will touch upon that with Steve Sachs a little bit later today as well, too. And, uh, yes, the A's executives back in town again having further meetings uh, with people here in Las Vegas about where to put this ballpark. And, uh, again, the more and more meetings you have, that basically just signals that uh, this team eventually is going to be coming here. All right, when we come back, we got football to talk about. We'll uh, take another look at Ravens Raiders on Monday night with the quarterback Steve Berline and also a look ahead to week number two, NFL. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. This doesn't sound like the usual mindless, boring chit-chat. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, NFL week one in the books. Look ahead to week number two coming up this weekend. Raiders. Short week, having to prepare for Mike Tomlin and that Pittsburgh Steelers defense. They look pretty rock solid. We'll dive into that. With our next guest, our good friend, the quarterback. Ah, yes, CBS Sports Network and, of course, Compass Media Sports doing the radio side with some college football this year as well, too. Uh, A man of many talents. He's always on the go, and I believe a golf handicap of probably two. Steve Berline, what is going on, my man? 
Listen, don't be spreading the rumors that I'm a two because <laughs> then I'm giving strokes to everybody. That's a good point. Uh, We're going to downplay it. it. And by the way, it is, it is not a two. It is uh, about a six, six about- point two or something like that. So um, I'm finally at a point where I can actually somewhat play to my handicap, which is great. Yeah, okay. So that's what we got to do. See, you know, like they say in the sales game, right? You've got to, what, uh, undersell and over deliver. So that's why we got to say, yeah. yeah, he's got like an eight or a 10 handicap, and then you take those fools' money on the golf course, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to kind of lie about my handicap, but in the wrong way. <laughs> you know, I would say I was, I would say I would be like a, a five or a six, and I would say I was a three. And then I would get hammered. I was like an ATM just spitting money out. <laughs> and uh, so I said, you know, as I got older, I was like, "This is not the way to play this game. I gotta, I gotta get a, you know, a handicap established as the right number, and then play to it and have a chance to at least make some money once in a while." So that's where I'm at now. Okay, so see now you've uh, you, you've purged that that subject there. I'm I'm very curious because we hear you know a lot of you know athletes, former athletes, they love to get on the golf course and and do some high stakes golf. Have you ever been in any of those type of situations where? You know, hey man, uh, you know may, maybe I'm in a little bit over my head here. If, if you got in oh, yeah. there with, there with were, some hustlers, I mean, you got a story or two. There were many, many, many times when I was younger, uh, when I was you know uh, with the Raiders and the Cowboys earlier in my career. I was in my you know early mid late twenties before I got married, and uh, you get pulled into some of those games. Now back then, I could kind of hold my own, uh, but. Uh, I came out on the short of the stick more often than not, you know, dealing with guys like John Elway and Dan Marino and, you know, Boomer Esaias and all these guys that, uh, you know, were making a ton more money than I was at that time. Uh, and, you know, they, they would want to bet enough to make you nervous. <laughs> and so I was always a little bit nervous. So, uh, uh, you know, I had some good days, but I had more bad days. And then, you know, then you learn your lesson. Um, so, uh, but a lot of fun, obviously. Best football player on the golf course that you've golfed with? Oh uh, man, that's a that's a tough question. There's a lot of great players. Um, uh, best football player golfer. Um, you know, there's some great quarterbacks, and the quarterbacks are usually the ones that are obviously the best players. Uh, but you got like. Uh, uh, Billy Joe Tolliver was a great player. Uh, he won that tournament in Tahoe a few times. Right. Uh, uh, Chris Chandler was a phenomenal golfer. Um, still is, I'm sure. Elway um, was always right up there as one of the best. Um, he won, I think, at Tahoe one year as well. Um, I mean, you can go down the list. There's a bunch of great. Tony Romo is yeah. the, probably the best one out there right now, uh, football-wise. But then you got guys like, you know, Remember Kyle Williams from the Buffalo Bills, the, the nose guard, right? The nose tackle. Yeah, he 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 almost won Tahoe not this past year, but the year before. Uh, you know, big old dude, but with the softest hands and you know, incredible putter and you know, short game. Uh, I think he came in second or third place uh, a couple of years ago in that tournament. So that's as impressive as anything when you get a big guy like that that can uh, move the golf ball and get it in the hole like that. It's it's pretty impressive. You know, Lake Tahoe, the Edgewood there. I mean, it's a great course, and that tournament is great. I imagine you, you had played there, uh, you know, in, in the past. And I know, you know, Steve, like you, you mentioned quarterbacks, but I always found out, too, that it's quarterbacks and kickers for some reason, seem to be the best golfers. And I know, you know, when I was living in Green Bay and, you know, covering the Packers and, and doing all that, the, the best golfer on the Packers at that time was Ryan Longwell, the kicker. He was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, Brett wasn't bad, but Longwell was by – he was like scratch. Well, Brett's too erratic to be yeah. great on the golf course <laughs> right. anyway. But, 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 uh, but kickers, you're right, 100%. Al Del Greco. Yeah, and, there's another uh, one, right? You go down the list. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. I mean, Robbie Gold, who's still playing today, uh, is a great golfer. A lot of those guys are great golfers. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's no doubt. And, of course, the hockey players are fantastic. And pitchers in baseball mm. are usually pretty good as well. So, um, that's because, you know, they only work once every five days. They get to go out and play golf on the road all the time. <laughs> it's true. So, 
Uh, but anyway, enough about golf. We didn't, yeah. You didn't call me to talk about golf, did you? Oh, no, no, not at all. But it, it just uh, it just uh, goes that way. And see, that's how versatile you are. You know, we can go that that's direction right. with you. The next thing you know, we're going to be that's talking right. about buckets of chicken, too. So that's that's, that's, <laughs> how, that's how we roll. Yeah, I need one of those, by the way. Okay. I, need, I need one of those buckets. Dude, it, it's right here. You make the, what, three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour four drive. Uh, you're here. You're here. I got your it's bucket. A, I got it. Let's go. It's almost, it's almost worth the drive just for the bucket. It is. It is. Then you come on the yeah. show Friday at the Cosmopolitan. It's a, it's a double header. Let's go. You let me know when you're coming. Yeah. I'll have the All bucket right. of we'll chicken waiting for you. I'll have the crab legs uh, waiting for you. And I'll have Chachi waiting for you as well, too. I'll need a little more than a bucket of chicken yeah. to show up for that. Maybe a few beers as well. Done. 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 <laughs> I'll tell you what I want. How about... Iowa, Iowa State last week. So you're back, you got in the radio booth. I want to know how Ames, Iowa was. I mean, that's the dealio. So we've seen you do the TV with CBS for all those years, and then you're doing the studio stuff. And then now you got back in the radio booth, and Iowa, Iowa State, probably, you know, it was hyped up as one of the games of the year. Uh, how, how was Ames, and, and, and how was that last weekend? Well, we stayed in Des Moines, so I, I didn't get a real sense for Ames. Um, which is probably which a good is thing. About 40, yeah. It's 40 minutes. Yeah, probably. <laughs> about 40 minutes outside of Des Moines. Um, but uh, you, the buzz, you know, just landing at the airport and getting to uh, our hotel and, and hanging out in Des Moines uh, was, was, there was, it was high energy. I mean, people were so fired up for that game. And then, you know, we, we got to the game probably – Three three and a half hours beforehand, and just walking through all the tailgates. I mean, they know how to do it out there, buddy. They they know how to get after it out there in Ames and those those games, and um, a lot of fun. People were fired up, but what an incredible letdown. I mean, this this is this was the game of their lifetime, and uh, people were so fired up, and I, I bought into it. I you know Iowa State was a yeah. four and a half point favorite, I think, and and I. I told everybody that asked me, I said, I, I like Iowa State. I think they're ready to do this. Uh, but I didn't count on their uh, quarterback, Brock Purdy, uh, Purdy, P-U-R-D-Y, um, having the worst game of his career. I mean, it was like he just wilted uh, to the point where they had to replace him late in the game. He wasn't even hurt. And this is a guy that has over 25 career records at Iowa State. And, uh, you know, incredible winning percentage. Um, you know, they had never beaten Iowa with Matt Campbell as the coach, but this was the time they were supposed to do it. And uh, he, they just played terrible. And uh, it was a, a really upsetting, disappointing performance by them. You got to give a lot of credit to Kirk Ferentz and his staff. Um, you know, there was nothing that was overly impressive about what they did, except they just smothered. Iowa State on both sides of the ball. And, you know, I think I shouldn't say both sides of the ball. I should say they got the short field uh, many, many times during the course of that game. Field position was always in their favor. So they won the kicking game battle. Uh, They won the turnover battle. They capitalized on their opportunities. Their defense just completely dominated Iowa State's offense, which I didn't think would happen. But it it, it was very obvious which team and which coach was more comfortable playing in the prime time in the big game. Uh, that that went to Iowa hands down, and they 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 dominated every aspect of that game. Yeah, I know a lot of people thought, including myself, that Iowa State would 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 show up and they would get this victory. But you know, I was a little bit nervous about that game because I saw Iowa play Indiana the week before, and you know, we saw yeah. Indiana, you know, a much improved Indiana team, and with Michael Penix back at quarterback, and you know, we saw them go to a major bowl game last year, and they just yeah. they handled Indiana like it was nothing. And then if yeah. you go back, I mean, Kurt Ferentz and that Iowa team—they've dominated Iowa State. When I say dominated, they've won, but mostly close ball games. But it just seems that it was a tale of two programs, Steve. That you. You know, Iowa yeah. is just so much better than Iowa State that they have their number. So, which begs the question here is, I mean, how how for real is Iowa, and can they challenge Ohio State in the Big Ten? Well, so with with Iowa, I think that um, I didn't give that Indiana game enough credit. Uh, and they were both top 20 teams, high expectations. And you saw what Indiana did week two this past week. They Whoever they played, I can't remember who it was, but they dominated yeah. in their their week two game. Um, but 
I just thought that, you know, Indiana was overrated maybe and, and uh, you know, Iowa got the turnovers and had, you know, two interceptions for touchdowns. Um, and I, I just didn't give it a lot of credit. But then when I saw the way that Iowa just completely, um, you know, dominated that football game defensively, um, I have a new a new perspective on them now. To win the really big games, to win against Michigan and and up against Ohio State um, and, you know, whoever else might end up showing up in the Big Ten this year is a legitimate team. It's going to come down to their their quarterback, uh, Petrus. Petrus. I I get confused. I think it's Petrus. Purdy, Um, Petrus, Petrus. Purdy, Petrus. They're all the difference. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) But, but, you know, he, he, he had not really shown me much. He'd started, I think, five or six games last year. And then he, he didn't do much against Indiana. Um, and, he, and he really didn't do a whole heck of a lot against uh, Iowa State. But uh, I'll tell you what he did that I really – I was I was sure unsure about him through the first quarter because he did not look – he's a big guy. He did not look really confident standing in there and throwing the ball. Uh, and I made that comment on the radio, and it was almost like he heard me because from that point forward – he started making standing in the pocket strong and making some really nice throws. I mean, he had a great touchdown pass to on a post route to uh, Jones, one of their wide receivers in the back of the end zone, and uh, made some really good third down throws. He only threw for about 140, 150 yards, but he made the plays he needed to make. Uh, with that defense, I think that's what's going to have to happen. They're going to have to be able to run the ball, and then when he gets chances to make some plays, he's going to have to make them. But that that's the you know, you're going to have to score some points against some of these big teams. And, you know, Ohio State got their their wake-up call uh, this past week and uh, against Oregon. So I think they're going to be highly motivated from this point forward. And, you know, Michigan looked pretty good as well against Washington. So, um, you know, it, it, it'll, we'll see. But it's going to come down to whether they can make plays on offense if they want to win the big games in the Big Ten. All right, real quick, Steve. So Iowa State now – coming to Las Vegas to take on UNLV this week. And a lot of, you know, Rebel fans are a little bit nervous, as they should be. And Iowa State travels well. I mean, don't you figure that Iowa State is just going to be – they're going to be ready, and they're coming here to Vegas to to probably put a whooping on UNLV? I mean, how do you see that? Yeah, I I would think so. And and I really do like Matt Campbell, the head coach for Iowa State. Even though he hasn't been able to figure out uh, Iowa, it's like Harbaugh not being able to figure out Ohio State. Uh, but, um, you know, they, they win a lot of games, and they're, they're, they're usually very well coached on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think that game, and I made the comment late in the, in the game, as it was, you know, obvious that Iowa was going to win. I said, you know, here, here's the key with Iowa State. They, their season is not over. Uh, they've got one loss. It's a, it was a terrible loss uh, to what's going to end up being a pretty good football team, I think. But if they can find a way to win out and uh, or maybe at most have one more loss throughout the course of the season, they can find their way into a nice bowl game and maybe get themselves you know back into the top uh, you know fifteen um, if if they really play well from this point forward. So I think they're going to be highly motivated to make a statement this week, and it'll probably be at the expense of your rebels yes i would I would have to say that's that's what I'm thinking. There he is. Steve Berline uh, joins us. He was on the call last week. Iowa, Iowa State. Hey, did TJ Reeves actually let you talk on the broadcast? <laughs> uh, uh, he, he was awesome. He was awesome. I was, I was believe it at that. He was great. He was, he was good, uh, wonderful. It was our first time working yeah. together in uh, – I think we had a pretty good chemistry, so it came okay. out well. So, good. Okay, good. Yeah. I'll take a little bit of credit there because I was just going to have to take the blame from either one of you guys if he didn't get along because, you know, TJ's a regular on the show as well too. And I heard you guys were yeah. doing the game together, so this is good. But, yeah, TJ, just so you know, I mean, he'd be a horrible point guard on the basketball court, okay, because he won't give up the ball. So I think he's that way no. with the microphone sometimes too. So at least, at least he dished it off to you a little bit. So I'm happy to hear that. Man, he loves to tell stories. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's like it's like they never end. You're like exactly. Yeah. On, you don't. Hey, you know the, the the last guy I got you on the golf course with here. I was like apologizing in advance. I wouldn't want to put you on the golf yeah. course with TJ. So you know, oh. there, there you go. 
At least, this be at story least time. not the same card. Yeah, at least <laughs> not the same card. <laughs> awesome stuff. All right, brother. Don't tell him I said that. Uh, not at all. I'm not. He's only probably listening now, but no big deal. No. <laughs> hey, man, Raiders. What did you think of the Raiders? The Monday night spectacular here against the Ravens, Allegiant Stadium. Uh, it was electric being in there, man. Uh, but uh, your perspective, the way you saw, uh, you know, the Raiders, and how you think they handled Lamar Jackson with Gus. Bradley's defense. Well, I was impressed with the Raiders for sure. You know, especially getting down fourteen nothing and looking a little bit uh, overwhelmed initially uh, in that game. I was really impressed with how, as the game went along, they really—you could tell against a really good defense in Baltimore. You could tell that uh, John Gruden and Derek Carr were getting that defense figured out with the the play calls that were coming up. They they really they saw. That that uh, they that Baltimore had no answer for Waller. Uh, they they threw the ball to him 19 times for God's sakes, and um, you know the, 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 there's no way that Baltimore was going to be able to stop that connection. And then toward the end of the game, uh, when they needed to make some plays, they had some things saved up uh, where they found a way to get the ball to, to Brian Edwards on some key throws late in that ball game to get him in position to tie, and then go down and win in overtime the second time they got the ball. Um, you know, then Zay Jones coming up big on the on the blitz. You could tell that they they really were expecting Baltimore to come with that all-out blitz. Uh, Carr was ready to, to take advantage of it and, you know, didn't panic even under pressure, threw a nice little catchable ball out there for the win. Uh, what I was impressed with was their resilience and their toughness throughout that game. Uh, you know, every time Baltimore tried to get control back of that game the Raiders answered and their defense stepped up and made plays they had key turnovers you know popped the ball out of uh, Lamar Jackson's hands a couple times and um, you know they made the plays they needed to make on both sides of the ball to win that game that's that's really what it comes down to in the NFL you know you you have to make plays at the key points in the ball game and they they showed they were ready that night and, and hopefully it'll translate into the rest of the year right one thing I wanted to touch on with you, you know, we talk about Lamar Jackson, but the quarterback look is totally different now. I know it's it's changed, you know, going in this direction the last few seasons, or maybe even the better part of the last five or six seasons. But to see the what we have now, I feel that we have gone to option football. We've really kind of gone to option football, and we never would have saw that like back in your day, or you know. Not to say you're you're old, but you know what I'm saying. Even in the last 10, 15 years, you know, that was kind of an anomaly. But now when you look at quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, uh, Tua, and now Jalen Hurts, I mean, you really have got to be a a two-headed monster here with that threat to have the RPOs, the run-pass options, and that sort of thing. And now these guys are having the success. And really, Steve, it's kind of turned out to be the norm and kind of a nightmare for defensive coordinators now because it's not an anomaly anymore. I mean, you really have to game plan for this. And these are the probably the most successful quarterbacks that we have in the league right now. I want your take and you know, going back, say, 10, 15 years ago, did you ever think that we would be having this conversation with these type of quarterbacks? No, I didn't. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's great for the league. Um, you know, obviously it was a lot different back when I played. And uh, you can say that I'm old because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm officially over 55. So I guess I'm considered a senior citizen now. You're on the senior uh, golf tour. That's perfectly fine. Yes, okay. I, I wish I would love. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it, it was, it's, it's, it's evolved to this point, but there's always going to be, um, and you talked about a bunch of different types of quarterbacks, even in the quarterbacks you just described, because Patrick Mahomes is much different than Lamar Jackson right. and Jalen hurts. And, uh, you know, uh, Russell Wilson even, and Jimmy Garoppolo and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow is yeah. mobile as well. Um, you know, they're all different in, in, in their own special way, but the quality that they, they seem to all have now uh, is that they're all pretty darn mobile and they can extend plays. And uh, some extend plays with no intention of running uh, unless, you know, unless they have to. And those are the guys like Aaron Rodgers and, um, even Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he doesn't intend to run ever. Um, he wants to, he wants to beat you with his arm, 
But if if you end up playing too soft and there's nobody open down the field, he's athletic enough to beat you with his feet. And that's what Joe Burrow can do now. That's what Josh Allen can do. Although with Josh Allen, there are a lot of design runs. Um, you know, with uh, Jalen Hurts, there are design runs. Lamar Jackson, obviously, designed runs. Uh, you go on a list of all these guys, um, but the, the the one common denominator is that they all can beat you with their feet. Now, there's never going to be one of these guys, I don't think, that's going to win a Super Bowl if they can't stand in the pocket and make throws. That's the quality. That to win a Super Bowl, you have to be able to do that, period. And, you know, that's why Lamar Jackson, I think, has struggled uh, to this point in the playoffs. He's 0-2 or whatever he is. Um, he's got to show in those games in uh, late December and January and into February uh, that he can make the, the big plays from the pocket uh, in the big ball games because that's the only way you're going to make it to the big dance and win. Uh, even though you, you, you scare the heck out of people with your feet, uh, when you get up against the best teams at that time of year, you have got to make chunk plays in the passing game from the pocket. So uh, no matter what you say, it's going to come down to that. Those guys are going to have to learn how to do that and be comfortable. Russell Wilson has done it, obviously, uh, but he's the only one out of that bunch, I think, that has a Super Bowl. So uh, we'll see what happens. It's going to be fun to watch. They're all so fun to watch. I, I really love watching the game the way they play it. All right, uh, let's leave uh, everyone with this. Raiders at Pittsburgh, short week. Mike Tomlin, that defense, T.J. Watt and company, Cam Hayward, they looked the, the real deal. They got the victory over Buffalo last week. How do you see Raiders traveling to Pittsburgh this week? Well, that, that's, that's going to be a tough call. Uh, you know, that, that's a Steelers team that always seems to play with a chip on their shoulder. Nobody's giving them any credit right now. Uh, you always know they're going to be ready to play defensively. Um, and as, as long as they – I think the key – for the Raiders is going to be, can they shut down the Pittsburgh running game? Uh, they want to get Najee Harris running the ball. They don't want to put the pressure anymore on Ben Roethlisberger. They want him throwing the ball maybe 25 times a game at the most. Um, and if the Raiders can shut down the run game and force the pressure to be on Ben, I think the Raiders will come out with the win. If they can't stop Najee Harris and, and, and get the Raiders you know, in, in the second and third and long situations, I think it could be a long day uh, for the Raiders in that situation. Uh, just going to going across country, playing there with the crazy, you know, Pittsburgh fans. I think it, it you know, if they can't stop the run, I think it's going to be a long day for the Raiders. But I really do like the Raiders where they stand right now this year. I think they're going to have a a really good year, and they're going to be in the playoff hunt all the way to the end. All right, there he is, Steve Berline. Catch him on TV. Catch him on radio. He's everywhere, and uh, you can. You know, go back to the locker room and catch him getting pumped up to this song right there. We're going to And for the record, I love my partner, TJ Reeves, okay? <laughs> He's fantastic. I love the man, and I can't wait to work with him in Alabama in a few weeks. I guarantee he just texted you and told you to say that. I can guarantee that. <laughs> no, he did not. He did not. Unsolicited. Unsolicited. All right, brother. Well, hey, you both have something in common. The Both the last time you guys were in Vegas, you guys were with me at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. There you have it. All right. There you go. Well, I, I can't wait till the next time. All right, brother. All right, man. We're letting Let the good times time roll. roll, baby. All right. Let them roll. Take care, brother. Yeah. All right. See you. Steve Berline. Uh, working with T.J. Reeves. Oh, boy. How about that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Steve Sachs is going to join us. Coming up next, Nico Ali Walsh is going to join us. Muhammad Ali's grandson, who we spoke to before. And Tim Bradley's going to join us as well, too. It's nonstop. All right? So we replace Bob Arum with five-time champ Tim Bradley, the up-and-coming Nico Ali Walsh. It's all here for you. Wednesday afternoon. T.C. Martin Show. Good